We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dort. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and brought to you today by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Jacob. And along with me today, I've got Taylor. Guys, this is kind of weird. With the exception of our guest pod from last week, this is like the first afternoon pod we've recorded in a long time. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit different, man. We've got Kamiar along today. Yeah, this is cutting into my nap time. I'm already feeling it. <laughs> I'm pretty sleepy. And we've got Nick. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I woke up like an hour ago, so I'm still uh, <laughs> still trying to stretch my legs and get ready for the day. That quarantine life. Yeah, no no shit, man. It's uh, My sleep schedule is so screwed, and I can't get it back on track. And Man, it, I was just thinking about that, like... Hopefully, one of these days in the future, when we eventually get to go back to uh, the office again, like I can't just roll out of bed at seven fifty and log on at eight anymore. I have to like wake up at seven ish or earlier and get into the office by eight. Taylor is one hundred percent the guy on this podcast that has to do like 
conference calls and stuff and puts on the yep. button up and the and the tie yes and then and has his boxers under. on yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like no pants taylor is 100 percent that guy oh yeah i have oh, no yeah. doubt in my mind i think yep. if i had to make a, a rankings list taylor would be number one uh nick would definitely be number two two um i feel like him and Kami are tied for two <laughs> yeah maybe Justin Justin totally gets dressed up fully. He even puts the shoes and the socks on. He's been saying he's been in like the same pair of sweatpants for like the past like two weeks. Oh, maybe maybe <laughs> I'm he's... completely wrong on Justin then. They're not the Sean John ones. They're from Costco. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, guys. Well, handful of NBA things to talk about today. We're gonna run through the idea. Uh, floated by Sam Amick of The Athletic, that there is some optimism around the league that we could get a return to play at some point this summer. Uh, We're going to touch on Keith Smith, friend of the pod, Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports, on his idea that the league continue this summer in a bubble in Walt Disney World. We're also going to talk about Andre Robertson, who gave an interview, I think just this morning, uh, about him... Having having planned to come back to the Thunder at playoff time uh, before the league shut down. And then we're also going to talk about, during this quarantine, who the Thunder young players should be studying, what film they should be watching, who they should be trying to learn things from in the league as they have this time off and, and, you know, obviously they're doing their own thing, but hopefully staying in shape and watching film as well. So we're going to give each Thunder young player another NBA player, former or present, that they should be watching and taking pointers from uh, during this quarantine. So guys, first off, in an athletic article uh, earlier this week, Sam Amick said that there is growing optimism that the league could return to play this summer. Um, In this, he he notes that he has talked to uh, players, agents, And people in the league front office, quote, when it comes to the prospect of saving this season in some form, sources say that optimism abounds in the ownership, player, agent, and league office ranks. Now, he does very clearly say that he didn't poll everybody, but the people that he did poll, there was just this this sense of optimism that just kind of resounded throughout the league, uh, including a lot of the players being receptive to kind of being quarantined in a city, in a hotel uh, for a month, a month and a half, two months to kind of finish this thing off, not letting them have access to the public and very obviously not letting fans into these games. Um, It's been a rough month and a half for everybody, uh, but hearing that the league has some optimism is, I don't know, for me, it's a bit of a breath of fresh air. You know, maybe it doesn't happen. But the fact that as of right now, they feel fairly optimistic is it's better than feeling pessimistic about it. Yeah, no, definitely. And and um, it kind of got me excited. I got a lot of us excited, especially on NBA Twitter, um, to to think that we were getting closer and closer to basketball. And then, um, you know, you hear rumors about MLB. Um, you know, they're starting to put together a program where they could basically put their players and organizations in a bubble and be able to start the MLB season uh, either on time or shortly after uh, when it would have started, I guess, because they aren't on time. I guess <laughs> uh, opening day was should have been uh, a couple weeks ago. But anyways, it, it was exciting to hear. But then um, Adam Silver goes on. Was it NBA on TNT? 
I can't remember day. where he gave these comments at. I can't either. Uh, or maybe it was just a conference call. But regardless, uh, it, it did not sound nearly as optimistic. Um, Mark Stein, he tweeted out a bunch of different things, a bunch of different quotes from Adam Silver's co- uh, press conference or phone conference that he had. Uh, Adam Silver says, I would just say everything is on the table. That includes moving back the start of next season. And he said, as I sit here today, there's too much unknown to set a timeline, even too much unknown to say, hey, here are the, the variables. Uh, but he does know that the number of new infections must decrease and testing must be available on a large scale for NBA to consider return to play. So all of that to say that uh, Adam did not seem nearly as optimistic <laughs> as uh, as Sam's article. In the yeah, and, and that's interesting to me. Part of me thinks maybe Adam Silver just isn't as optimistic. Part of me thinks, is he just trying to like subdue those expectations because True. we can be optimistic, but we don't have anything for sure set in stone right now. So maybe he's just trying to to curb those expectations a little bit and tell everybody, hey, it's still a ways off. We're still trying to figure things out. We still need more data, you know, but but there there's a chance. But you know, it, right. it's that thing you don't want to come out and just say over promise. Yeah, exactly. And then have a letdown. Right, exactly. So here's another really, I was trying to get to this quote and I finally found it. Uh, he said, we are, the NBA is not yet at the point where it can pinpoint prerequisites A, B, and C to establish a clear path to return. So he's saying that we can even say that, you know, this thing needs, you know, test needs to go down and we need better control measures. And then if that happens, then we can, you know, we can go play in Vegas. He's saying they they don't even have the prerequisites scheduled out yet for what would need to happen. Uh, they're basically just waiting, playing the waiting game like the rest of us are to see these cases go down and um, hopefully see social distancing pay off. Yeah, I, I, t- I tend to not lean either direction, optimistic or pessimistic on this kind of stuff. I think we've all, to this point, kind of understood that it's a day-by-day thing. You know, this week we're talking about there's optimism around the league, and by the time this podcast drops later tonight, you know, we could be looking at the exact opposite. There could be another handful of players that test positive and it resets the timeline and, you know, something else could happen. It's just one of those things on a day-by-day basis. Things change so dramatically, so I tend not to really even take interest in any of these kind of points on my end. Well, you mentioned um, other players testing positive, and that was another interesting quote that Silver had in this same conference. He mentioned that there are indeed other players who tested positive for the coronavirus, and he said this in past tense, so it may not be recent. It could have been during this time when initial testing was going on, uh, but that other players did test positive. They just weren't public about it, and obviously privacy laws and stuff. Um, he wasn't going to say how many people or how many players that that tested positive or who they were, but um, there certainly have been other players and people across the league that have tested positive. I mean, it just, it just makes, I, it's like you, I said, it's, it's a week to week basis as far as like how we're supposed to live and like the rules for living and going outside and wearing masks and all this other garbage. And it kind of reminds me of the NFL and how they might operate over the next, you know, they, cause they say they're going to play all their games, but it just takes one guy like Rudy Gobert to shut down the entire league. So, um, I really don't see a contingency plan coming together until like this stuff is like, you know, we're in July. Um, I, I, we just don't know anything and everything every other week is just new information. And, uh, with the reopening of the United States and different, in different states, uh, it'll look super different. And I just, I just don't know how the logistics will work out. And let's say a player in the playoffs, or let's say an arena worker, or somebody helping work these playoff games comes down with this virus. 
you know, like they're going to shut the entire thing down again. So like, I don't even know what the point is and maybe even having these games, if you're going to risk it that much and if something that minute and small um, or something that like just singular will just kill the entire thing. So I don't know um, how that works as far as like if they crown an NBA champion without actually playing the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. I've, I've yeah. got a question for you guys on the topic of the, the season returning. Do you see it being something where, you know, you wake up one morning and, you know, messaging around the league comes out from the, from the NBA front office saying, you know, Hey, the league is going to resume starting this day, you know, next month. And here's how we're going to do it. X, Y, and Z. Or do you think it's going to be something that's worked behind the scenes and then dropped you know, more in the, in the short term, like for example, this is completely different, but like, I feel like with the horse competition, there was rumors about it. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, we're having a horse competition. It starts in two or three days. Do you think it'll be something where we have a month's notice to, to know when the league's going to reopen or is it going to be, Hey, we've done all this behind the scenes. We, here's what we've set in place and it's going to start, you know, next week. That's a fascinating question. I mean, I know that Adam Silver has come out and basically said that if they do return to play, they're essentially going to do like a 25-day mini camp or a 20-day mini camp or something like that. Get everybody back together. Let them practice. A lot of them haven't shot a basketball. They don't have goals at home. You know, let them uh, get back in shape and get ready to go. So, so we would have, in, in that aspect, a an idea of when actual games will start, but the decision that, hey, they've decided we're going to play games again. I mean, I don't know. You want to talk about Woj breaking a hell of a story, though. Like, he is definitely the guy that could get his hands on that and and leak it out. So I think it's going to be – we won't get the the whole picture at once. I think it's going to be like a puzzle, and we're going to see it kind of start fitting together piece by piece. It kind of like we already have, you know, just there's, I, I think you can look at the rumors that have dropped. Like, for example, there was a rumors um, at one point that, you know, the NBA was starting to look at the bubble um, situation where they would all play in one or two places such as Vegas. Um, and then, you know, we heard uh, now this from Adam and then we heard, or then we saw Sands article on The Athletic. I agree. I think more and more pieces of information will trickle out as uh, GMs get more excited about it and as they're, or, and as they're talking more about it at league officials. They're going to continue to reach out to these reporters, and we'll probably kind of, like you guys said, hear it in bits and pieces. Definitely. Speaking of the whole bubble idea, a friend of the pod, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports and Celtics blog, wrote a pretty interesting piece about how if the league does come back and wants to exist in a bubble, the best place to do it is Walt Disney World down in Orlando. And he lays out a really good argument. You have to keep in mind, Keith worked for Walt Disney World for 20-plus years, very familiar with everything. They have the hotel space, the the infrastructure as far as like places to play games, things set up already for broadcasting, um, basically everything they would need, plus may, maybe the, the thing that makes this most attractive versus Vegas, Walt Disney World, it's, it's private land. You don't have to worry about shutting down city streets, setting, shutting down uh, city, like like hotels in the city. Like if Walt Disney is still shut down, if people can't go to Disney World, but they can put the league in there, I mean, you don't have to worry about the players coming into contact with the public. 
right? It, it, it's private land, and so they would be able to really, really exist in that bubble. Taylor and I mentioned this a little bit back on our Friday pod. Uh, it, it's a fascinating idea. It's a really fascinating idea. They have everything already in place to make it exist. You know, something else I was thinking of too, since you and I touched on it, Jacob, is is there, Disney's recently uh, furloughed a whole lot of other employees and workforce, and that's a great way to get them back working again and employment numbers to rise. And um, you know, it could have an impact even outside of basketball. Yeah, just on the on the economy as a whole. So here's uh, oh, here's sorry, something on, on the Disney World uh, conversation, and, and this is not something that I'm saying. In terms of it's not a good idea, I think it'd be super fascinating. But think about, you know, when, when you were a kid or like, for example, I know a lot of high schools, like even when I was in high school, we went to Disney World for ESPN tournaments and things like that. And, you know, while you're there in the bubble, you make relationships, you're talking to guys and other teams, you know, they're, they're, these guys, if, if all the teams were in Disney World, they wouldn't be quarantined to their own team, I don't think, um, between games. I wonder if that were to happen, if, you know, this summer, the summer after with big free agent names, if that were to happen, if it came out that, hey, so-and-so went to this team because they built a great relationship with a coach or a player or, you know, the kind of the back end, um, the back end conversations and relationships that were built could affect teams going forward and free agency and the trade market and things like that. 100%. And, and Taylor and I talked about this on the Friday pod, but... The league wants to recoup some money. If you're putting the entire league in a bubble and like two or three hotels, throw some cameras in there, make it a reality TV show and sell it on NBA TV or NBA.com for 20 bucks a pop, like a 10 episode miniseries. Be so much fun. I would pay I would pay the 20 bucks easy for that. And they can use that $20 for all the coronavirus tests they'd have to do daily. There you go. Yeah, no kidding. Um like you remember the story from a couple years ago when J.R. Smith threw the soup? Yep. Imagine all the all the NBA players and coaches and staff all together in like three or four different dining halls and J.R. Smith throwing soup at like Patrick Beverly or something. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I mean, that'd be on like, instead of it getting reported shortly after, it'd be on like somebody's Facebook Live or Instagram Live. Oh my, players. dude, it'd be so good. <laughs> it it'd be so entertaining. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly rooming together. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god donovan uh, mitchell fighting rudy gobert <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh, great. man i love it good stuff i love it well hey last thing about this whole idea taylor mentioned it i wanted to bring it up adam silver said everything is on the table including moving next season back let's just hypothetically say that the league comes back in late june they play games until close to the end of July or mid-August. They do the draft after that. Then they do free agency. Then they do the offseason and summer league and all those things. And we get to this idea that this point where opening night for the NBA happens on Christmas Day. How do you guys feel about that idea? Not only in like a, a maybe an abbreviated season because of all of this, but moving forward, and, and a lot of people have talked about this in order of the NBA not competing and overlapping with the NFL as much. Having the league start on Christmas Day, having the playoffs end in mid-August, and basically just shifting the NBA calendar back two months. Are you guys for that, against that? 
think Don't you guys know. Once, I think you guys know. I'm. I've, I've talked about that a lot on Twitter and on the pods. I think that would be not only something, just the the upcoming season because they have to. I think that's something that should be carried forward indefinitely. I mean, I mean, football drastically overlaps with the beginning of of NBA season and college basketball is kind of more on the um, late late in the year schedule into early the next year and I think the NBA season should definitely piggyback and, and start to do something more like that and completely change um, to have an actual basketball season and a football season we, we would get the dog days of summer would be conference finals and finals games I, I love it. I don't see that happening because, like, you have to look at the logistics of that. Are you going to play 82 games still? Are you going to play a smaller schedule? What about the off season where guys actually get better and recuperate their body bodies? And what does free agency look like? What does the draft look like? You're messing with a lot of these timelines. Are you are you going to permanently just say, all right, NBA, you're going to start in December? So you have to I have to imagine a lot of logistics. It's like, and if a guy gets hurt and if a guy gets hurt in December, let's say he tears his ACL on opening day, he's not going to be ready by the beginning of next season if you're still happening, having that season open in October. So it really messes with a lot of logistics, and it might, you know, it might even cause guys to sit out a lot more games, especially if they know the NBA season is going to start in October the following year, and you are just starting in December that year. Uh, because they want their bodies to be fresh. So I think they will be messing with a lot of things. I think it's a good idea. I think it's an intriguing idea, but there's a lot of numbers you have to move around to make it work logistically, especially with the offseason coming, because like you say, oh, yeah, in the dog days of summer in August, we have NBA finals or whatever. Yeah, okay, well, what about when October rolls around? So there's a lot of things to think about here. Well, I think yeah, that's, the, that's the, the, the argument, idea, though. though. Is like, yeah, just move it permanently back to opening day is December like at Christmas time for all seasons, like in the future, just redo the NBA calendar. Um, I mean, we've even seen it with just podcast interactions that, you know, people are more interested in midseason NFL and midseason college football in October than they are in the beginning of NBA basketball, you know? So I True. think the league could benefit from more publicity. Now, one thing that's been brought up a lot about this idea is that a lot of the TV stations that NBA teams have deals with, they also have partnerships with MLB teams. And so when you start getting into the summer, you now start Trying overlapping broadcast, yeah. yeah, Major League Baseball and NBA at the same time. And so that, as far as numbers and stuff are concerned, that also becomes a little bit of an issue uh, just with overlapping those things as well. So. so, Jacob, you bring up an interesting point um, that kind of ties into what Kamiar was saying. So, you mentioned you know podcasts and you know seeing an intrigue and in, and in basketball once uh, football season is officially over. But, like for example, for us and we've heard many other podcasts say this as well. Some of our highest downloads come during the off season with all the rumors of trades and um, free agency, and that's kind of when a, a lot of interest in the league peaks. So you move that now to during football season, do you see less interest in free agency and trades? That's a good point. You know, and then uh, to Nick's point, I or, and Kamiars, I guess, like for us and for maybe uh, owners uh, that are not having to compete with football, it may be better for them. It may be better for revenue. Um, fans would enjoy it, especially those who enjoy watching football and basketball. But 
then you have to think of the players as well. They aren't going to be nearly as supportive because they like their time off in the summer when kids are Yeah, off. nobody wants to and, go vacation right, right. in October and November. And scouts and organizations don't have to go and scout and watch players, you know, um, during that time. You know, they enjoy their time off also. Um, Sam Presti won't have his reflection time in the mountains where he can grow his beard. Uh, <laughs> he'll have to plan around that. So I don't know. It, it's interesting. There's two sides to the argument, and it, it, I'll be extremely interested to see if the uh, players organization and the league can come to an agreement there. How long has the NBA had their current schedule? That's a good question. I don't know. And I don't know if you guys That's know this, question. but the NHL has a direct mirror of the NBA season. They they do 82 games starting in October, playoffs start the, the, the week before the NBA playoffs start. So I think that it's uh, the, the timeline and the model they've built has certainly been successful, but that's not to say that you shouldn't at least try something else in the short. Even if it's a two- or three-year trial and it, and it doesn't work great, it would be easy to go back after that logistically having a long-term plan to go back to the original October to, to late summer schedule. It's fascinating. All right, guys. Well, let's move on uh, to some more Thunder-centered talk. Uh, Andre Robertson, I think as of this morning, Sunday morning, uh, did an interview where he said that he, before the league shut down, was interested. He felt like he was at a point where he was going to go play some NBA G League games. Would have been fun since I was still yeah. covering the G League. No kidding. Uh, go play some NBA G League games uh, and getting in preparation to rejoin the Thunder right before the start of the playoffs. First question, do you believe that? Second question, what are your thoughts about it? I There's a part of me that, like, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, think of how long he's been out and rehabbing. Um, it absolutely makes sense that he would be back to that point, especially the G League. I could see that happening. But then, to call me hard and Nick's replies when I put that in our Slack... Dre told us the same exact thing um, at training camp at the beginning of the season, and then he just was MIA after that and had many setbacks. So I kind of take a middle stance that, like, we probably would have seen him at the G League, but I'm not sure that after watching him play G League basketball that the team and organization would feel that he was ready to go back to NBA competition, which leads us back to the whole point that we've been saying over the, the entirety of the season. We're worried he may not get back to that level ever again. Um, maybe mentally, maybe physically, maybe both. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play a little bit in the G League and try and gear back up, but I'm not sure we'd see him back on NBA 4. Yeah, he and the, the interview is yesterday with um, – he was doing an interview for uh, University of Colorado. Kind of they're, they're checking in with a bunch of their prominent alumni from, from the sports world, and that's where he said all that kind of stuff. And he actually said he's in Oklahoma City right now, but you know Taylor's spot on at media day when he was asked, how are you feeling? He said something along the lines of – um, you know, we're, we're going into training I'm camp all go and, or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm all go. go and, <laughs> and that wasn't the case. Um, and my thing on the whole topic is it's one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of things. The Thunder were rolling one of the, the hottest teams, one of the most consistent teams in the entire NBA from Thanksgiving on, like we know. And I know that if the league were to resume, they would have to, you know, catch that fire again and, and hit stride once again. But it, you know, assuming that the season wouldn't have been put on pause and that original plan of going to the G League and then bringing him into the playoffs, like 
it's it's difficult in a, in a sport where you've only got five guys on the floor to work somebody back into the rotation and figure out whose minutes you take. And I think that really could have hindered the the flow and the, the chemistry and the structure and the lineups that this team had already built out that was having so much success. See, true. And, and there's a part of me that thinks that as well. But you're talking hypotheticals, like as if the season didn't end, right? Or didn't end, we didn't have to pause the season. So hypothetically speaking as well, what if Drake does come back healthy, um, looks great? Why not just slide him into that Terrence Ferguson role, right? And hypothetically, like you have that Dre from um, a couple seasons ago, maybe not nearly as um, 100% as he was then, but still, like even if he's 90% of that, you throw him in there and give him like Ferguson's minutes. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Hypothetically, he's actually serviceable. Right, right. right. But again, it just kind of leads me back to like, you know, my selfish point of view that we were robbed of um, that seeing this Thunder team reach its full potential. Because like you said, Nick, even if we resume the season at some point, it's not the same. You, they lost all that momentum. They were rolling. Uh, they were on fire. It was, it was really fun. It was going to be exciting to see where they were, they were going to end up at the end of the season, at the end of the playoffs. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be very different now. Speaking and, of and- robbed... Robertson took a lot of money and then got hurt and went to California after saying he was full go. <laughs> Highway robbery. If he comes back to OKC, he needs to be on a minimum because he's literally been doing nothing for a year and a half. I'm sure a lot of that has been rehabbing and I'm being like facetious, but it's just like he said he was full go at the beginning of last season and we never saw him again. Um, so, and he he took double digit, you know, million dollars. So I'm just curious about what his agent would try to do anything. They have no leverage. Who's going to want right. a guy that you know yeah. blew out his knee that can't hasn't, shoot the ball? Hasn't been on a basketball court in two and a yeah. half years. And here, here's another interesting wrinkle is the way Lou Dort was playing, you know, defending some of the best guys in the NBA is – is a guy like Robertson, who's who's seventy five percent of what he was defensively, even comparable to have on the floor when you could have a guy like Dort kind of filling that same yeah. role. And, and again, we're I love how this entire conversation is just we start each sentence with hypothetically, yeah, hypothetically. Exactly. Well, hypothetically, you know, this dude hasn't played basketball in forever. Do any of us think after a stint in the G League? that Andre Robertson would be good enough at playing at the highest level of basketball, the NBA to say, yeah, let's put him out there. Well, and like you, know, you said, I, especially I, I know at that, that point of the season. Yeah, I know. It's exactly, you know, it, we're not throwing him in a random game against the Sacramento Kings in January. Right. We're talking playoffs. Yep. That's a playoffs. Good <laughs> talking playoffs. So this conversation makes me think again, hypothetically, Let's act like the season did begin uh, in July. Could other players like Kevin Durant or Clay or John Wall come back if the season restarted again? Right. And see, that's why I don't. I think I would like for there to be some rule that when the season ended, however many weeks that you had, um, that that teams had on players for their return, like, you know, uh, Terrence Ferguson will be reevaluated in two weeks, and then the season ended. They should have to sit out those two weeks or that period before 
being allowed to come back or like encountering that's a situation an interesting perspective. where he was ruled out of the season. He shouldn't be allowed to play when the season resumes, you know? And NBA players would hate that, but I think it's just fair, right? Because now you're telling me the Nets are going to be like the seventh seed in the East. Now we get Kevin Durant back and Kyrie healthy. And then like the Warriors, like you were saying, can make a last minute playoff push uh, if the playoffs... No, they're or if the, they're way too far out. Yeah, but true. They wouldn't true. even want to play Clay because it would it would hurt their, uh, their draft. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and same, same with John Wall too, but... but you know, if the Warriors, they couldn't make a playoff push, but if, if they were to, to hit the resume button, play out the same exact games you had on the schedule, now you're playing a team with Steph Curry and, and hypothetically, again, a Clay Thompson and a good Warriors team that prior to the NBA season being put on pause, that's an easy W for a team that wants to make a push for the playoffs. Now that's a game you could easily lose. And like a team like Portland, let's say they had the Warriors twice on their schedule, you know, throughout the remainder of that's the year that's true it affects two the standings games. yeah it's 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 a huge deal but, right. but um, john wall there's no need for him to come back regardless the, the wizards i mm, I, I mean they, they could make the playoffs they're not too far out but mm, what's the point yeah. yeah it's just it's all very fascinating um so many moving parts and pieces that we we really have no clue what's going to happen well guys before we move on to talking about who the Thunder young guys should be studying during quarantine, let's take a quick minute to tell you all about betonline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Hey, I just want you guys to know that I did a Walmart pickup order the other day and bought some Nathan's hot dogs. Ah, there you go. They're good, it's, man. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, hot dogs. I love, they, love, they, I love Nathan's good, hot dogs. And I don't understand why somebody would want to do a hot dog eating contest and shovel them down. I want to enjoy my dog. Yeah, that's right. Hot dogs are disgusting. <laughs> I can't do like the, the mystery meat dogs, but if it's like yeah. an all beef hot dog. I'm okay with those ones, but yeah. uh, I don't know. They're not bad. It's yeah, not bad it, for like a cookout, summer cookout. Like I can, yeah, random quarantine lunch. Yeah, now I'm putting them on the grill. I'm not some sort of animal. I'm putting it in the microwave and then using a slice of Wonder Bread for my Ugh. bun. Drinking, drinking the hot dog water. Ugh. Ugh. Hot uh, ballpark hot dogs. You know, you got to yeah. do it while you're there. Yeah. Um, See, I don't like hot dogs, but I like bratwursts. I know it's like okay. doesn't make any sense, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. How much money would somebody have to pay you for you to down 12 ounces of Ugh. hot dog juice? Ugh. What's a your lot. price? How about you name the price and I'll say yes or no. You said 12, 12 ounces? 12 ounces, Coke can. I mean, I would I would do it for 5,000. <laughs> God, you're an expensive wow. bitch. 500 bucks, Taylor, you doing it? Oh, no. It's got to be more. Really? Call me our 500 bucks. Yeah, man. Like, like you Just plug <laughs> your nose and it's gone. 
Ugh. We know who works in public education <laughs> on this podcast and who works for private corporations on this podcast. I'm just saying, like, you're you like, plug no, your nose and it's gone. Yeah. I bet, I bet your stomach could feel all weird for the next that's like what I, four that's hours. That's what I was thinking. <clears throat> now you don't gotta keep it down. You could barf it back up later. And probably just sit in your, probably just sit and settle in your stomach, and then your breath would smell like hot dogs. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna puke. <laughs> we gotta move on. I'm on the podcast. <laughs> Jesus, better than pickle juice. Uh, See, I could do pickle juice. Nope, I can't do pickle. Pickles gross me out, dude. Oh, pickles gross me <laughs> yeah. out. All right, so we're all in quarantine, including the Thunder players are in quarantine. Uh, some of them have taken to TikTok. Uh, some of them are posting their best outfits of quarantine in a uh, in an Instagram challenge, I guess, a bracket. Uh, that would be Shay. We haven't really seen much from Dort during uh, during quarantine. Uh, yesterday was his birthday, or maybe it was like midnight. He HBD. Is, but, yep. Yeah, he's twenty one. Twenty one. He's legal. Congratulations, Dort. You can and, go get a drink. People will still compare him to thirty five year old Deontay Burton. all right so during this quarantine we are going to give five thunder young guys advice on who they should study what film they should watch and what parts of their game they should work on those five guys would be darius basley lou dort hamadou diallo terrence ferguson and then Shea Gilgis Alexander. So we've all kind of brainstormed a little bit and come up with ideas. Now, we haven't talked about this pre-pod, so none of us know who anybody else is going to say. So, guys, let's just dive feet first. Let's start with the youngest Thunder player, Darius Baisley. Who should Darius Baisley be studying during quarantine to try to improve his basketball game? I went with a guy that... You guys might scratch your head at, but I think it's a it's a good comp. It's a guy that has played both the three and the four throughout his career. He's kind of that tweener that we all think that Baisley could be, just based on his size and his um, you know versatility and his skill set. I think if if he ended up being similar to a Marcus Morris type player and had a game like him, that would be. Um, would be great. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris is great offensively, serviceable defensively. Just, just really gets the most out of his, you know, ideal wing type frame that he has in the NBA. So I think that's a guy that Baisley could really benefit from um, watching film and, and kind of seeing how he uh, creates shots, gets gets open offensively, and and makes an impact on the game. That's a that's an interesting one. I did not expect you to go that direction. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Just um, because Marcus is such a you know, you think of him, he's, uh, he's obviously much more thick than Baisley. Um, but I like the comparison in terms of like what the Thunder are kind of looking for Baisley to do and develop into kind of that guy who could play, uh, some small forward, some power forward can bang down low and get rebounds, but also can handle the ball occasionally and, and shoot some outside shots. Um, it makes sense in terms of skill set. Taylor, who is yours? Who, who do you think Baisley <laughs> should be watching? So, uh, Thunder fans not, might not be super excited about this, but Kevin Durant and obviously you can make the similar comparisons in terms of build the long lankiness the skinniness you know when they first came into the league um listed up power forward but can play a little bit of maybe occasional or maybe eventually some small forward but the thing that I think the real reason that Baisley should be looking at Kevin Durant is because when we first drafted Baisley obviously the only highlights we had of him were uh, back when he was playing in high school um, before he took his year off with New Balance to the internship all of that 
And one thing that really stood out to me is he was handling the ball a lot. Um, he was taking the, taking the, the ball down the floor, uh, using his length to his uh, his his um, advantage, and saw a lot of like pull up jump shots and and shooting over defenders. And he showed flashes of KD to me, obviously on a much lesser level. But I think that's somebody he could really learn a lot from and would just be the perfect situation for this under team. If he could develop into a poor man's Kevin Durant where he can you know, hit uh, jumpers off the dribble and he can handle the ball a little bit for this team. Maybe he can eventually play some three um, depending on, on who you have in that lineup at the four. So I think Kevin Durant would be a really good uh, player for Baisley to model his game after even though we, I think, can safely say he's not going to be a Kevin Durant talent. But still, that was my, that was my comparison and my, my guy that he should be watching. I'd like to challenge you on the spot here, and and you mentioned like a poor man's Kevin Durant. So give me a guy who is currently, you could say, kind of a poor man's Kevin Durant. KD. That would also be another guy that that Baisley could watch Man, because that's... there's a lot of guys that that you could say are poor man Kevin Durant. Yeah, true. all right. Well, he, wait, well, but but before you go, Taylor, while you were talking, I was thinking, is my guy who Taylor is thinking of? Okay. So what I'm about to say. Do what? Who I'm about to say for Nick's answer? No, no whenever you were talking about, he oh, okay. know, maybe a poor man's Kevin Durant can handle the ball, can play the three and the four, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. My guy, I so I thought Baisley sh- should just watch, since Baisley's so raw, I thought he should watch somebody and just try to model his game. He doesn't need to take pieces of somebody's game. Yeah. Just find someone to kind of emulate. I went with Portland's Nick Batum. Oh, interesting. Okay. Portland era Nick Batum can handle the ball, can play the three, the four, is a good defender, is a jack of all trades. He can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot, he can attack, he gets to the free throw line. You know, he's not great at one thing, but he's good at a lot of things. I Nick Batum is maybe that poor man's Kevin Durant that if Darius Baisley became like Nick Batum with pick 24, I think we'd all be pretty happy with that, right? Yeah, no, sure. I, that's fair. Um, I was kind of thinking, and, and this, just because of how they're built, I don't think Baisley could ever be this strong and maybe aggressive, but like Jonathan Isaac. Oh, okay. Jonathan that's an interesting Isaac's one. Calm here, who'd you go with? I've got a couple of dudes. Um, maybe he can study both of them and meet somewhere in the middle as far as what his skill set finds best. I mean, both of these basically require him to get in the gym and actually put on some muscle like Giannis does uh, and not stay skinny for the rest of his life like Kevin Durant. Um, so I looked at two guys, uh, Pascal Siakam, who really, really exploded on the scene. Like he's much older than people think he is. He's Siakam's not, like, a fun one. I like he's that not, a lot. He's not young. He's actually in his prime right now, but he just like – he developed so rapidly and just kind of exploded on the scene there in Toronto. And then just also looking at tape and film of KG, uh, who can play uh, the four. He was a defensive monster. He could handle it a little bit, and he shot a lot of mid-range. I know today's game, they don't want you to shoot mid-range, but um, just looking at Siakam and film on KG would be really beneficial to him and his skill sets. I like both nice. of those a lot. Yeah. I kind of forgot the, about the Siakam. The KG one's fascinating. Yeah, yeah that one's true. really interesting. True. Uh He's got to study KG's uh, talk on the court, too. Oh, yeah, the God. trash talk, the demeanor. Oh, man. And see, Baisley is such a nice dude that I don't think he'll ever talk trash. I don't know. Just the way his kind of demeanor, like that would be funny if he would. Yeah. Lou Dort. Who should Lou Dort study Lou. during this quarantine? I've the got old a, Lou Tang clan. I've got a fun one. Uh, Marcus All right, Smart. go for it. And obviously it's kind of um, 
you know, you can make the comparisons in their builds, but just the way Marcus plays, he plays really hard defensively like Lou does. He's very sound and fundamental on the defensive end. He, and he also has been able to hone in and, and develop more of a jumper compared to his college days and his early earlier NBA days. I think Marcus Smart would be a great comparison for, for Dort and somebody that he can eventually develop into and maybe already is on his way to developing into that sort of uh, player, um, especially if he's going to stay at the shooting guard position. And Marcus Smart played point guard in uh, college, in high school as well. He can handle the ball some, and that's what Lou did as well. Um, he's not going to be a point guard in the NBA, but he definitely could be that combo guard, I think. So Marcus Smart's my guy. Yeah, I think Marcus Smart and Wes Matthews are two really good things. Wes he is another study. really good one. Wes yeah. Matthews from Portland when he uh, didn't have everything wrong with his legs and knees. Uh, but yeah, just definitely looking at Marcus Smart and Wes Matthews, both attacking closeouts, handling the ball, making the right passes. Uh, Mark Smart actually started shooting well from beyond three this past season before it was cut short. So both those guys are excellent 3 and D guys and excellent defenders and high IQ guys. Yeah, those are the two names I had on my list as well. Uh, I, I thought we all might fall in the same category here with Lou. Um, especially Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart came in as a defender who didn't have a whole lot of offensive skill, but over the course of his career, Marcus has become a really good three-point shooter now. And so I think that's something that Lou also needs to take into consideration. It's not going to all, it's not a light switch. It's not just going to flip on. You're going to have to work at it for years to become an adequate three-point shooter in the league. See, I went a little bit different of a direction, and I picked a guy that we've actually talked about on the podcast, not in this um, comparison-type world, but it's a guy that his rookie year only played eight minutes a game, You know, averaged 2.6 points. His second year made a bit of a jump, but didn't actually you know, make an all-star team until his fourth or fifth season. He's a little bit bigger, so I'm not comparing the body type, but seeing Lou be a, a solid 3-and-D guy kind of out of the gate and, and producing as much as he has early on, I think his ceiling might be higher than we think. And I don't think he's he's going to be as good as this guy that I'm going to mention, but I, I think it'd be a great guy to watch film on and kind of not take his off-the-court stuff as far as mentality goes, but his on-court, like, bulldog-type mentality is Jimmy Butler. That's fun. Yeah, That's really I like fun. that one. In terms of explosiveness, like you said, he uh, kind of came into the league known as a sound defensive player with size and strength. Um, could guard really like the two through the four, uh, just like Lou has been doing. Uh, that's a that's a really fun one. Yeah, that one's really interesting. Um, I don't know if Lou will ever be the the offensive hub that right. that Butler is, right. you know. But but like a poor man's Jimmy Butler for sure, you know. Uh, Hamadou Diallo. Who should Hamadou Diallo be Hamid. studying during quarantine? So I'll go with mine first this time. I went with Andre Robertson yeah. uh, in the sense that Hami can't really shoot. Dre could never really shoot. And even if Hami puts a ton of time and effort into that three-point shot, he's still probably going to be below average. So why focus on that deficiency when it's never going to, to be a strength? Instead, just focus on the offensive strengths like, like Dre did, which is cutting, um, being explosive, uh, getting on the, the glass, uh, screening, uh, things like that. I mean, we've seen multiple plays this season where Hami is the, the screen man in the pick and roll and then rolls to the rim, catches a pass, and throws on a dunk on somebody. Like, utilize those skills more. Don't try to become 
really good at what you're not good at. Just focus on what you are good at and become elite at those things. And I think Andre Robertson offensively before the injury had really done that. Uh, and and I think that's something that Hami could really watch. It's funny. I'm saying Hami should watch Andre offensively and mimic that. Nobody in their right mind wants to say, hey, I want to be Andre Robertson on offense. But I think there's <laughs> something there. You know, I think that the idea of focusing on your strengths and, and filling a role is something that Hami could do. True. I like that a lot. And then even, you know, watching him defensively, I think you kind of alluded to this, Jacob, but um, being able to hone in that athletic ability and if to translate to the defensive end, unfortunately, Hami doesn't have like the IQ and fundamentals that Dre does uh, on the court, but also specifically defensively. Um, but I actually kind of went a similar direction with one of these names and Tony Allen. Uh, I think he kind of fits that mold, that, that build, you know, Tony came into the league, very explosive as well and athletic. Um, but he also was kind of the similar, uh, athlete in Andre Robertson that, you know, never really was a great shooter to say the least, but was just that incredible defender, super sound on that end. And, um, that'd be a fun player for him to watch. And then another one that I, I kind of came up with off the top of my head is, I don't think he'll ever be this player because they're built very differently. But Vince Carter, watching how he was able to adapt to a changing league, uh, obviously they're at completely different phases of their career, Hummy being super young and trying to make it in the league. And Vince, already the super mega athlete who uh, was kind of aging in his career and now he's willing to stay in the league and needed to adjust his game accordingly. We've seen him do that over the past three or four seasons. Watching how Vince kind of made that transition um, from pure, raw, uh, explosive athlete to not even just role player, but, you know, being able to develop a jump shot and being able to do the smaller things. I think that'd be a fun one for Hami to kind of watch that transition. You know, I think he could really look at early, early Russell Westbrook, not, of course, triple-double King Russell Westbrook, but early Russ when he was just incredibly athletic, dynamic athlete, had super mega hops, uh, just wasn't a high IQ player, and Russ is never really going to be a high IQ player. Uh, but he just seeing how he uses athleticism to his advantage and how it really turned the tide and just a couple other names that are really just going to fit Hami because Hami's never going to be he is never going to be a starting guard in an NBA and if he is it's because Oklahoma City's tanking he's never going to be a guy that's going to get 30 minutes a game he's going to be a guy that comes off the bench and gives you a lot of energy and so I think two guys he can really look at, and these guys have totally different skill sets as well. DeAndre Liggins and Kenneth Fareed, uh, both guys use their athleticism. Both guys hustled their ass up and down the court. They used all their energy. They were, they were completely spent uh, by the end of the games because they used all their physical tools because basketball-wise, their touch, they didn't really have the shooting skills, but... They used all their physical tools of speed, agility, hops, and everything else to make impacts on the game. The Kenneth Farid one, I like that one a lot because it's not the position Hami plays, but just the idea of how he plays is is really fascinating. Nick, who'd uh, you go with on this one? I went with a guy who is is certainly a much better three-point shooter than Hami will, will probably ever be, but the way that he makes an impact on the game – um, with energy, athleticism, and limited shot attempts is, is something that I think Hami could really take note of. This guy, even today, you know, early in his career, still never averaged more um, than, than 10 or 15 shot attempts a game. Um, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, I think that 
he's taken that raw athleticism and really found a way to be explosive on the offensive end. And although he is a good three-point shooter, a lot of his shots come, you know, in the lane, dunking on people, finishing through contact, using that athletic frame and that explosiveness. I think that Hami could take, offensively at least, some some pages out of his book. One name that just came to my mind, and I like that one, Nick, um, but one name that just came to my mind, what do you guys think about Hami trying to model his game after Iman Shumpert? Shump's a fun one. I like that a lot. He was, that was that's a really I, good I one. think those are two kind of comparable guys. Yeah, yeah. He could, Shump used to jump out of the gym in his early days and uh, became a really sound defender and solid role player. Never ha- turned into a great three-point shooter, but he became at least respectable. He'd shoot him, but he wouldn't make a lot. Right, right. Yeah, that's All a, right, that's guys. A one. Two more left. Let's go to Terrence Ferguson. Now, I feel bad for Ferg because, you know, the, the season, you know, ends abruptly we don't know if we're going to get it back and ferg was just as far as on the court just in a bad place wasn't playing well very shy very timid um non-aggressive and so i i feel bad for ferg and i'm afraid that our comps here might reflect that but who do you guys have for terrence ferguson well so my two guys are two names that we've used in the past two guys that we would really like to see Ferg kind of start to develop into. So I don't know if these two for me are so much comparisons as they are guys that I wish Ferguson and hope Ferguson can eventually develop into, um, and Danny Green and Clay Thompson. Obviously, he's never going to be probably the shooter of either of those, maybe Danny, um, but definitely not Clay. But the way they move off, move around screens and uh, and on, on the defensive end, um, the way they move without the ball, how active they are, the way that they're able to they don't need the ball in their hands to, and their confidence are able to get shots up um, and can just space the floor and really impact the game in that way. That be those are a lot of there's a lot of aspects of both those players I really like for to kind of watch and be able to throw into his game and put his own tweaks on you know. Um, so those are my two guys. My nice. two guys are Andrew and Chris Taylor. Do you guys know who those people are? I don't think so. No. They're the CEOs of enterprise car rental companies. He needs to <laughs> he needs to uh, research how they're making their business because he's not going to be in the NBA much longer. Oh man. I went with <laughs> and and this is maybe my favorite one out of all of them. Ferguson, we know what type of player he is. He's a defender. Uh, he's a quintessential 3 and D guy. He doesn't need to watch somebody to learn how to play, right? He doesn't need to say, this is what I need to play like. We know what his role in the league is. Ferg's problem is confidence and aggressiveness. He needs to model and watch somebody and see that I don't give an F attitude. And who better to watch film on and to embody that personality than the GOAT, Dion Waiters. Dion. That's Ferg fun. just needs That's to really sit fun. down and watch Dion highlights where LeBron has the ball and Dion is throwing his arms up yelling for the pass <laughs> because Ferg needs to be more aggressive. And Dion isn't afraid to try to take the ball from anybody. I love it. If we could have Ferg's skill set with Dion's mindset, he would be a really good player. Definitely. Definitely. That's fun. I, I, like I, I tend to disagree with that statement. I went I went kind of the same path as Jacob and this is not a comp by any means or a similar skill set by any means and that's not the point of the exercise we were you know who 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 should you watch film on to 
in this quarantine to to better yourself. And I went the confidence route as well. Um, I went Kobe Bryant, a guy that had the most confidence, that bulldog mentality, that Mamba mentality. I'm not saying that Ferguson should ever try to be Kobe or shoot the <laughs> shots Kobe did or or even try to have that Mamba mentality because that's one in a million. But I think from a confidence point of view, he needs to watch someone like that that went out on the court and just said, screw it, I am going to get mine. I like all of those, and <laughs> but like I threw out Clay Thompson. Uh, Jacob threw out Dion. Nick threw out uh, Kobe. Now watch the season will resume and Ferg will come out shooting like twenty shot attempts a game when the first game back. <laughs> Just F it, I'm gonna get my shots up. <laughs> All right, guys. Well our last one, uh, we saved best for last. Shea Gilgis Alexander. I've gotta tell you guys, I'm interested if, if you had the same experience as me. Trying to come up with guys that these young people should study. The most difficult one for me was Shea. Yeah. I, str- I, I, the other four, I could come up with somebody pretty easily. Shea was my difficult one. And what? I had to think for a long time about who Shea should watch in order to try to improve his game, who she, he should study during quarantine. And I've got an interesting name. Uh, I guess I'll just I'll kick us off here. I said Shea should watch Manu Ginobili. That's interesting. Sh- yeah. Both are 6'6". Six, six. Uh, obviously, Shea has a lot more length than Manu, uh, but they are both extremely crafty. They're both really good ball handlers. Manu became a really good knockdown shooter and could get his jumper off really fast, and I think that's the next evolution to Shea's game is to have that off-the-dribble J that right now, I mean, if you watch Shea from early in his rookie year to now, he gets his three-point ball off a lot faster, but it's still slow in comparison to other NBA players. And so I think getting that quicker trigger and just, I mean, Manu is, to me, like he's a Hall of Famer. He's an all-time great. Like he's incredible. And I think Shea, you know, isn't going to be a six-man of the year type of guy. Shea's going to be an an all-star type of guy. But to model his game off of Manu and the craftiness and the playmaking that Manu had, I think that would be a great guy for Shea to kind of watch and try to emulate and steal aspects of his game from. Yeah, I, I I gave Shea the most homework over the uh, quarantine. I gave him four guys that I want him to oh, really wow. study their films, study their tapes, study how they approach the game offensively, defensively, IQ, um, mindset, uh, just everything else. I one of my ones was also Manu Ginobili just because of how crafty Manu was. Like nice. this this man like was is probably the most crafty player in NBA history. He just has so many tools to his game and it's not off the premise of getting fouled like James Harden because I don't ever want to see that crap. Like it makes the games 30 minutes longer and it's stupid. I don't want to see 30 free throws a game. But Manu just he always had his defenders rocking back and not because he was shooting step backs, but it's because he would just have, he was so good at change of pace and everything else he had in his bag. But you also, I mean, he's already got one of the guys you want him to emulate on his team in CP3 as far as being poised, uh, vision, court vision, making passes, looking at the right guys and really opening everybody else up, everybody else up on the floor. And then two other guys, uh, one for offensive purposes and one for defensive purposes, but one for defensive purposes, uh, well, I mean, what better guy right now than former Thunder player Paul George? I mean, he's got the length. Um, he's got the attitude. He just needs to really put in the work. And then, of course, offensively, Reggie Miller. Um, Reggie was 
aggressive, um, has a, more of a quick trigger, and like you said, he needs to restructure his shot to where it's, his shot it gets off so slow. Uh, he starts it from the pocket of his hip instead of just yeah, going slow up and with low. It. Um, so he needs to get the ball up higher. Like you look at the difference between him and Amos' shot trajectory and him Amos like how long it takes him to get off a shot. It's astronomical. So just looking at Reggie Miller, how he approaches the game offensively, and really even Reggie Miller defensively, uh, talking and getting in guys' heads and uh, really making a game out of it. You know, because Reggie would irritate his offensive guys that he was defending. So. Manu, CP3, PG, and Reggie Miller. A lot of film for him to watch and really transcend his game, make him better. Reggie hey, you got to work hard to be good. One. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I was like the, the way you guys went with uh, Manu. But um, I actually went, well, I have two names, and one of them is uh, Ginobili's teammate, Tony Parker. You know, obviously they're built, Tony and Shea are built very differently, but the craftiness, like Jacob mentioned, uh, the ball handling, their ability to get to the rim is something that I think, Shea kind of mirrors um, in terms of, like I said, the ball handling that Tony Parker possessed. And so watching a film on him and how he was able to break down defenders and facilitate for his teammates, you know, that's something I think that Shea could get a little better at is facil- facilitating. And then also, you know, uh, Tony was able to develop a really nice jumper as well, particularly off the dribble. And so that'd be fun to to watch Shea develop. And then my other name was one that I think Kamiart used on the past in this podcast that stuck with me and I always really liked, and Penny Hardaway, just because of the length and versatility there. Um, I think Penny's a really fun one. If you go back and watch some of his whole, old highlights, you can definitely see some shades of, of Shea. See, for me, <clears throat> the Shea film was the easiest one for me because I'm still under the impression that his current teammate, Chris Paul, is still the best um, yeah, that's film true. he can watch. And he's obviously studying under Chris Paul in person and playing alongside him. But I think there's there's no better player to watch than Chris Paul. Um, if, if I had to choose a couple that were players he's not currently playing with or hasn't played with, um, I would go A, Jason Kidd, just because Kidd was never – the the astronomical score he never was the guy that averaged 30 points a game he was a guy that really distributed the ball got a bunch of rebounds and although Shea is a second year guy is leading the team in in points per game right now and I believe still still shot attempts as well I don't think that's a long term you know if the Thunder are going to build a championship team I'm still not under the impression that that Shea will be the the number one offensive guy so so modeling his game after Jason Kidd would be super beneficial for him. And then Kidd's secondly, one name I considered as well. That's funny. Absolutely. And and the second name is a guy that I historically have hated. Not hated as a person. His, his game was never one of my favorites, and I, I was kind of a hater of him as he was in the NBA. But a guy that was slower, um, not necessarily – you know, didn't have the the most explosiveness like a Russell Westbrook did, but still was able to get his through craftiness and using his body to his advantage was Paul Pierce. I think that's a guy that offensively Shea could learn a lot from, just the way he scored the ball and the confidence he had and, and the craftiness of, of putting the ball in the hole would be beneficial. I like how our, our homework for Shea so wide. Yeah, We've got all types of guys. Where with other guys like with Hami and with Dort and with Baisley, we were we were all kind of very centered and very similar. And Shea is just such a wide range of, of people yeah, we're yeah. having him watch. Maybe even I, like early Ray Allen with the Bucks. Yeah, it's kind of fun. 
it's a. I, I think that's just a testament to how versatile we think Shea can be. Exactly, I, I agree completely. You know, with, with still so many interesting tools, develop into. Yeah, man. No. If, if you want to see how like interesting of a player Shea is, go watch some Russell Westbrook highlights, and then go and turn on the NBA dropped on their YouTube channel, like an eighteen minute. 2019-2020 Shea Gilgis-Alexander highlight tape. Most of Shea's finishes at the rim, most of his jumpers, he's barely even getting off the ground. Yeah, he doesn't like, jump much. That's a good point. Westbrook is he's jumping wise. and getting like his head up to the rim to throw down a dunk, and Shea is like barely hopping, like getting like six inches off the ground. But just the angles and the craftiness, it's two very, very different styles of the same game, and it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. Just just go watch that Shea highlight if you have some time, and just see how like it's just it's so interesting the way that he scores his points yeah. without you. I mean, how many times has Shea dunked this year? Less than ten. I don't remember. I, don't remember. Yeah. I, I remember seeing him go really really high off the glass with the softest touch more than him dunking. And as an Oklahoma City fan, uh, I just thought it was just so odd but also really really fun to see Shea uh, point guard for Oklahoma City just be able to do so many things around the rim and like not just throw some crap up or just try to like you know shoot off the glass in mid-range like go do so many different things around the rim without actually getting his hands on the rim just it was pretty pretty impressive and seeing a floater and not just from one point guard but two point guards from Oklahoma City was also really fun to watch this year yeah I was about to say I think Shea has made more floaters in Oklahoma City this year than Russell Westbrook maybe did in his entire Thunder career Russ tried for like a month and then he stopped (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's so true uh it's just the finger rolls like you said the the high like floaters off the glass uh just everything it's it's so different uh, you know, it's just it's hard to see another guy in the league that kind of scores in the way Shea scores um, by not utilizing very much athleticism at all. Well, he's exactly. using his athleticism, but he's just using it in different in ways. ways. I mean, yeah, he's not going raw hardcore to the rim like you would see a Russ or some other point guards like Drew Holiday and stuff. He's going to go in there and change a pace you, and he's going to switch gears and go from like fourth gear to second gear and then switch to his left foot and roll off his left hand. It's it's pretty unbelievable. That's one of the reasons why I put Manu Ginobili out there because this man had the same thing. He, was, he would rock his guy to sleep or he would get their defenders on the wrong foot to defend maybe a mid-range jumper or going to the basket. He would just do so much, um, and that's what I really saw in Shea when we first got to see him early in the year when he was dropping career highs. Yeah, yeah, and Shea's ability to finish with the wrong hand and the wrong foot on the on the opposite side of the goal, it's things that like people – it's very unorthodox. You just don't expect it. You know, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's in your head that like he's going this way. So he has to do this thing. Right. And then Shea does the other thing. You know, he drives left, finishes off his right foot, right hand on the left side of the rim, you know? And it's like, wait, I was guarding the left hand trying to jump out to block it. And he went like really close in. It's just those little nuances are so fascinating. It's like so you, crafty. you found yourself shaking your head at Shea thinking, oh my gosh, this is unreal. As many times as you saw yourself shaking your head at Russ, but for the different reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
don't know. It's it's some really, really fascinating stuff. So, guys, before I play our outro music and get our listeners out of here, any parting thoughts? MJ documentary, documentary of the night. The yeah, last you watch the dance. first five minutes. I did not. I, I kind of I tried to avoid it because I want to get it like yeah, all, all fresh. Yep. Although ESPN is having the unedited version, uh, full cussing. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> MJ said people that that watch it are uh, gonna hate them, and me and Taylor are and are in the book club of the Winning Machine right yeah. now. It's really pretty great good. book. Maybe I need to pick that By up and read really it. Very interesting. Ethan Strauss, right? Yep. Yeah, it'll make you really just it'll really validate your opinions on Kevin Durant exactly. and it'll really validate a lot of your opinions on Joe Lacob and it'll 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 validate your opinions on Steve Kerr, too. As much as you might not like him, it'll really make you think he is actually the nice guy. He yeah, is. yeah, that's true. I thought that as well. Nice. It, uh, it was very interesting. A lot of yeah, I know there's been some segments floating out there of the Kevin Durant parts of the book, but. Uh, there's some small tidbits, just like Kamara was mentioning. We, we won't spoil too much, but like Ethan drops a small little tidbit in one chapter talking about how Kevin Durant already had some Golden State colorways <laughs> before even going into free agency. Just some little things like that to just really make you like, yeah, like even I, more angry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah but it's been fun. There, there's a lot of fun aspects as well. It's a and great book. You know what I keep thinking is. I want you know we had Boomtown, which is one of my favorite books ever. Sam did such yeah. a great job, but he focused on OKC as a whole and kind of juxtaposed that to the growth of the Thunder. I want this book, The Victory Machine, done for OKC. How the, the all the details and the true story. We've heard tidbits. We've even heard some like hush hush things that have leaked. But I want it, the full story of how OKC moved from Seattle. How Bennett and his group and McClendon all went up to Seattle and bought the team wrote it out for a season and brought the team to OKC and then just all the way, basically the, the 30 for 30 in book form, just kind of like this is for the, mm. the Warriors. And the one guy to do that is Royce Young. Uh, but I don't think he's ready to do that yet because there's a, obviously OKC is very, I said, hush, hush. That's kind of how they are. Not in a shady sense, but just they like to keep things close to the belt. You know, for example, um, the way they kind of regulated Kevin Durant all those years. And now we've seen what happens when Kevin Durant's not with the Thunder. Um, you know, because of that, I think they, the Thunder organization relies a lot on trust. I don't think that's something that Royce would really be able to do until he gets Thunder approval and it'd be like years down the road. But I think, yeah, I think Royce it'd be is the one to do that. Yeah, I think Royce I think is the one to do that. Nick Carlson would be a really good interview for that and yeah. just a lot of yep. other things. But yeah, once you get once you get to the Kevin Durant chapter of this book, at the, the very first page is magical. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right, maybe I need to pick it up and we need to do a uh... – do a podcast over this book or something. That might be fun. I like it. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If this is your first time checking us out, please make sure and go hit that subscribe button so you can get our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning while we're still in, in an era of no NBA basketball for the time being. If you're a longtime listener, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Thank you so much. We hope you guys are safe. We hope you're healthy. Keep washing your hands. Go check out betonline.ag. Bet some money. Uh, You got hopefully that $1,200 stimulus check. Go gamble it all away. Also, go check out bluewirepods.com. Go find your next sports pod to keep you busy while you are working remotely from home. You can mute that Zoom call and, uh, and listen to some podcasts instead. So have a great beginning of your week. We will be back with you late Tuesday night slash early Wednesday morning with our next episode. Hope to see you there. Again, go drop a five-star rating while you're at it. 
and we will talk to you guys later. Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.